Welcome to Reconvene 2022, presented by our partner, Appfolio Investment Management, an all-in-one solution empowering general partners to streamline real estate investment management. I'm Moses Kagan. The following conversation from Reconvene 2022 is with Rohan Jahar of JT Capital. All right. So uh, many of you here last year, um, uh, but for those who weren't, the, 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 the whole focus of Reconvene is really on um, the operators. It's really on, uh, on helping all of us learn how you do this business that we're all in in one way or another. And um, I wanted to start out this year's event um, uh, with my friend Rahan, from, uh, again from JT Capital, who uh, has, has built what I, what I genuinely regard as, as a machine. Um, and a, in a way that, uh, that, that I admire very much. So uh, why don't we start with, um, with an explanation of exactly what kind of machine you've built. Uh, yeah, definitely. So uh, first, thanks for having me. Uh, you and Simran, it's very clear, putting on like just an amazing event. Uh, last night we had that 14 course meal, which was just <laughs> phenomenal. Uh, but yeah, uh, I run JT Capital. Um, we're a real estate investment firm. We buy 100 to 400 unit apartment complexes, uh, Florida and Texas, uh, mostly focused on you know class B, B plus stuff, doing value add. Uh, really what we do is focus on three different pillars. First is interior unit renovations. Uh, that takes us you know no more than one to two weeks. We're not doing like heavy value add stuff. Uh, second pillar is deferred maintenance, exterior upgrades, restriping parking lots, upgrading clubhouse, gym, those kinds of things. Uh, and then lastly, one of our competitive advantages is that we have a, a partnership with one of the largest multifamily property managers in the nation, uh, Invel Partners. They've been around for 45 years. They manage about 70,000 units. And so, you know, that's the firm we've built, kind of how we execute and get things done. Just to, to kind of clue everyone in, the reason that Rohan's business model is so interesting to me, and I, and I suspect to many of you, is you know, when I think of real estate, I'm thinking about like in the weeds, hand-to-hand combat, block-by-block stuff. And, uh, uh, and Rohan has taken a, an entirely um, different and in some ways, I would say more elegant uh, a, approach to, to creating wealth, in, specifically in multifamily. So what I want to do is kind of um, walk very briefly into, into how you got there. Um, and, but then I want to I focus on those first initial deals. How did you get comfortable um, and, and, and ex- finding the deals, raising the money, executing, and, and what that's led to? So let's talk briefly about just, just a quick background on you personally. Yeah, totally. Um, so I started my career, uh, graduated with fi- uh, finance degree from Michigan State. I went the corporate route. So I worked at GE in these like entry-level leadership development programs. Uh, got you know accepted into these like faster track executive track type uh, programs. Um, then I left. I went to go work at Facebook. Um, you know held a variety of roles there. But ultimately at Facebook, uh, I started meeting all these founders in the Bay Area. And before that, you just read about them in like TechCrunch and things like that. And then you're sitting across from them at dinner, and you're like, Oh wow, we're the same. Like we're all just normal people. I thought you were like this godlike person. And so I started getting in this confidence, like, okay, I got to go do something myself. And that coincided with me just like not wanting to work for anybody uh, anymore. I remember being at Facebook and like I sat kind of near like the HR team and uh, the Glassdoor rankings came out of like number one best place to work. And they were cheering and they were so happy. I remember looking over like how happy they were. 
And I was like, man, I just don't care. <laughs> I just don't care at all. And I was like, I got to get out of here. So, um, you know, I decided that I needed to do my own thing. I uh, went a variety of paths. Like, you know, I worked in like a Domino's pizza for a day. I was like the worst pizza maker ever. Uh, but ultimately, I landed on real estate because I was like, hey, this is like, you know, it fits my operations mindset. It fits my finance mindset. Um, let me start looking at things and seeing what I can go do. And uh, as I understand, your, your initial cut at that real estate entrepreneurship idea was not buying big multifamily complexes in, in Texas and Florida. Yeah. What, was the, what was the initial kind of idea? Uh, yeah, so my first idea was, uh, hey, we're going to buy these single family homes in college towns. Um, you know, like uh, these colleges are in demand. They're going to be around for, you know, who knows how much longer, but at least a little bit longer. Um, and, you know, the parents co-sign. Like, I remember when I was there, like, they always took my deposit. Like, what a great business, <laughs> you know? Uh, but then I brought this idea to one of my uncles who did real estate. I had no idea what he did. I just knew he was in real estate. And I was like, hey, uh, you know, I have this idea. This is what I'm going to go do. And he was like, yeah, you know, don't waste your time. Like, I did single-family homes, and I wasted a lot of time doing that. And he was like, you know, you should look into multifamily. Um, so I didn't even know what that term meant, but I was like, okay, I'll go learn about this thing. And so I started looking it up. Um, and what I did was I went to, uh, ultimately, went to brokers' websites, just started downloading deals, and just started underwriting a bunch of these deals. Uh, so I did like 100 deals in 30 days or something. And I, I took that work to him, and I was like, hey, look, I'm sure you do a lot of this. Like, this is the type of work that I can produce for you. Like, why don't I just do this for you? Uh, and he never really worked with family, but he was like, oh, wow, like, this is pretty good. It'd probably take a lot off my plate. Um, sure. And so I kind of did, like, a mini apprenticeship for him, from him, uh, for him, and then it went from there. How many deals did you work on with him? Um, we worked on uh, three deals. Uh, one that it was, like, you know, his, and that I was doing all this work. And then as we started, we brought him uh, into a couple deals. Got it. Okay, so you, you work on one deal that's really his. And at that point, um, you start to get the confidence that, hey, I've looked at a lot of things. We've, we've executed one together. I'm ready to jump. Yeah, I was like, okay, look, I know how to uh, underwrite these. Um, at least, like, how to put together an underwriting model, right? Like, maybe my data and assumptions aren't the best, but, like, I know how to, like, do this. Um, then I started doing like a little bit of asset management, and I was like, okay, this is just like bread and butter operations, and like the on-site people are the ones executing. You need to give them direction and guidance and leadership and make certain decisions. Um, and then I learned a little bit of like the investor back office stuff. Um, but yeah, you know, it, I was like solely dedicated to this. I was like, I know I have to do this. I was spending like day and night. Was he paying you? Uh, no. Uh, so I told him, I was like, I'll do it for free. Uh, you know, after we did do the first deal, he gave me uh, a little bit, like, um, I think it was like 13 grand or something. <laughs> and, uh, you know, super nice of him to do that because I, like, I didn't want it. I was like, no, like, this is, I'm not ready to earn yet. I need to learn, right? And, uh, like, very uh, gracious of him to even do that. Um, but, yeah, you know, I got the confidence to be like, okay, let me go try this for myself. Like, And, and when you decide, okay, so you, you make that decision, and I think that that's one that... Um, Many of the people in this uh, in this audience have made that look. We're uh, we're going to do this ourselves. Um, I know you have partners now. Um, had you been talking to them in the background about making the jump together, or was it the first deal that catalyzed you coming together as a partnership? Yeah. Um, so I met uh, Sapin is here, my one partner, and then his sister Pooja, who's our other partner. Um, I met them while working with my uncle. So my uncle said that hey, you should meet these people. 
Uh, he's like, you know, they're younger than me, but they're older than you. And so uh, I met them, and, um, you know, we just really hit it off. Uh, we started doing, like, JV deals together. Um, Sapan and me really saw eye to eye on how to underwrite. Um, Pooja was just, like, a really, uh, has a really great personality, knew how to, like, lead teams, knew how to inspire them, uh, like these on-site teams in a way that I knew I could never do. Uh, and I had not really seen before from a leader. Um, and so we started doing JV deals together and um, you know, it just really worked. Like we liked working with each other. There wasn't a lot of disagreements. When there were disagreements, we worked through them in a very like thoughtful and rational way. And I was like, man, I want to work with these people like all the time. And so we got together. So how did that get formalized? Was that um, around the time of the first deal uh, that you did away from your uncle? Uh, yeah, we did a few deals together at the, at the JV level. And then we realized that, hey, it makes a lot more sense to be doing this together. We can have one brand. We can go out to investors. Our processes are all formalized together. We're not running like competing or burying processes. Just having everything integrated makes a lot more sense. We're going to work together for the long term. So how did you, um, I know obviously now you're buying in, in Texas and Florida, but walk me through, that's a, um, that's a kind of a top down. Because at this point, you were actually living in the Bay, I believe, right? OK. Yeah. So you're in San Francisco. And, but you immediately uh, make the decision that you are not going to be investing in San Francisco and you are instead going to be investing uh, in the Southeast, Sunbelt. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, like looking back on it, it's like, you know, we had this game plan and stuff, but at the time it was really just like, hey, we got to pick a place in the Southeast and whoever responds to our emails, like we're going to that state. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, Florida was one of those places uh, where the brokers kind of took us seriously. Um, you know, we structured the cold emails in a way such that it was like, um, hey, I have a reputation, right? Like, I wasn't like, hey, I just started buying multifamily. I was like, I buy multifamily and this is my criteria. Uh, let's talk for 15 minutes. I see you have this deal listed, right? Uh, and then flying there a couple weeks after meeting them, those kinds of things. Um, but yeah, we took that top-down approach. These were the people that we got traction with and that's where we went. And um, at this point, then, you, you're, you're now cranking through underwriting live deals. Yeah, yeah. Underwriting a bunch of deals. In the beginning, uh, you know, they're feeding you all the low-quality stuff, and so they're trying to see, like, is this person legit? <laughs> you're saying, like, uh, hey, this doesn't work for me because of A, B, and C, and you get back to them super quickly. You underwrite them very quick. Uh, and then you find one, because uh, you've underwrote all these, so you know what works, and you're like, okay, like, this is the one. Let's get serious about this one. So I want to talk uh, briefly here about the chicken and the egg problem that I think a lot of people have in the beginning, which is you're simultaneously underwriting deals and chasing them, but you also have to think about the capital too. Mm -hmm. um, how are you solving for that capital for the first deal? Yeah. Um, so what we did is we went out to our network to say, like, what could we raise, right? And uh, the resounding answers were like, you know, from a lot of people were that, hey, you guys don't have enough of a track record, right? Now, Suppen, he had a lot more experience um, than me, so that helped, and he was able to bring in capital because of his track record and his experience, but the majority of what we needed, like, just wasn't there. And so we brought in, uh, you know, my uncle, my mentor, to be like, hey, you come in, you have a lot more real estate experience, we'll learn from you on this, you'll be able to participate in the GP, uh, we'll kind of do, we'll try to do more of the work, right? Um, but that's how we structured it. You, you finally find a deal that is sweet enough that you're willing to actually go for it. And, and just because it's going to make everyone cry here, you want to tell us what, the, what, what you thought the cap rate was going in? and what it uh, Yeah, you know, at the time, it's amazing. It's like we were trying to underwrite to hit an 8% pref, like year one, <laughs> you know? And so if it didn't meet that, we're like, okay, we can't do it. And uh -huh. what year, sorry, what year is this? 
Uh, six years ago. Okay. Yeah. So, so you're buying an eight cap in, in, or you're getting to an eight levered yield in Florida six years ago. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, you know, looking back on it, it's like, man, we should have bought everything. <laughs> what, were, what were we doing? Uh, but uh, yeah, that's what we're looking at. And so once that hit, and we were confident in the rent growth projections, we were confident in like the PM that we had selected, or we were confident in the business plan to be able to secure the financing, then we went for it. Okay, so you uh, you closed on that first deal, and um, was this very much like the ones you're doing now in the sense that you have this game plan of doing re relatively quick unit turns, getting them, uh, fixing up the, the common areas and, and yeah, moving quickly? Yeah, somewhat similar. I mean, um, at that time, it definitely took longer to do the unit renovations than it does now. Um, you know, again, now we have this amazing um, partner that we're able to execute with. Uh, but at the time, you know, it wasn't clear, like, what contractors were using and all those things. So it took a lot more time. But generally speaking, it was like, yeah, we're doing value-add work. Um, you know, the, the vintage then was older, it was like 1970s, that kind of stuff. Uh, but generally speaking, the playbook has not changed a lot. And I want to, it's actually, this is maybe getting a little bit in the weeds, but I think it's helpful for some of the um, people who are starting out. Um, you and I talked about how you handled distributions at that point. Um, maybe it's, it's subtle and actually you've changed now, but I, I really thought that that was an interesting point. Yeah, definitely. So in the beginning I was like, you know, we need to show all these investors that, uh, we're legit. So we got to do monthly distributions. And so, you know, at the time we were just like, okay, we're doing monthly distributions, uh, and monthly investor updates that taught people like, Hey, these guys are real. Like I just invested and they're giving money, money for like 30 days out. Like that's great. I'm like, now we've changed to quarterly, uh, just because of like, the administrative work. Uh, but we can do that because, you know, like people trust us and we've executed for them in the past. But yeah, I think that's important for, you know, if you're starting or you have new investors or whatever, like you want to show them, hey, I'm real as quickly as possible. Because sometimes people write checks and they're like, a lot of times people write checks and they're like, all right, we'll see what happens. You know, if this is a new person I'm investing with. So let's talk now. So, so let's talk now about like, what is this thing? start to look like at scale? Like you, you, first of all, you've done a lot of deals now. You've done how many? Uh, 23. Okay. And you've gotten full cycle on a bunch of them too. Yeah. We've gone full cycle. Um, you know, in, in the past year we've been a net seller. So we sold a lot in 2021. Uh, this year we've bought one, uh, and we're selling one right now. So it's, you know, kind of slowed down right now, but, uh, we won't, we need to be super patient. So I want to talk about that process of getting from that first deal, which, like, it sounds like you guys did mostly have your act together, but you were not the well-oiled machine that I think you are now. I want to, I want to talk about how you, you got from there to where you are now from a process perspective. First of all, just to give everyone a sense, um, you guys have been very lean, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's just your three partners and... Uh, yeah, three partners, uh, one U.S.-based employee, and then uh, two VAs overseas. And this is, you've moved like half a billion dollars worth of real estate yeah. over the course of six years. Yeah. Okay. With three people, and three partners, an employee, and a couple of other overseas people. Yeah. Like, that is amazing to me. Right. We have a much smaller portfolio, and I got property management and 15 employees and all kinds of HR issues. So this is fascinating. <laughs> so <laughs> um, so let's, let's talk about, like, what, what was, first of all, what is the ethos behind that? Like, what, what is the idea, and how did you actually make it happen? Like, what's going on behind the scenes? Yeah, definitely. So, um... You know, like, we took a lot of inspiration from uh, Berkshire, right? 
So we said, who's at the head office? It's like Buffett, Munger, uh, Ted, Ajit Jain, Greg Abel, and like two of the five, I think, are actually operate, uh, like CEOs of operating businesses. And so I'm pretty sure. And so, you know, I just said, like, why do we need to hire a huge acquisitions team? Like, do we want to be acquiring like so many deals a year? Like, do we need to be doing that? Or should we just like start off slow, like kind of see how things go? You know, I'd seen in the Bay Area, like these companies just take off like hyper growth mode. And I was like, I don't know if I'm comfortable with that. Like, I think maybe we should just like start slow and steady. Why was that? Was it that you were worried about creating a beast that you would have to feed? Was it like just not wanting to deal with a bunch of employees? Like what was the, where was that coming from? Because that's, yeah. that's unusual. Yeah, in the beginning it was like, you know, I don't want to be net negative on this. I'm trying to make money. <laughs> uh, and then outside of that, it became like kind of a people management thing that I think took us a little bit to realize. Like in the beginning, if someone asked me, hey, what's the company you're building? Um, you know, just my default actually was like, oh, we'll be the next Blackstone. Because that's just what you say. You say like, I'm gonna be the biggest and the best, right? Um, and after a couple years of how we were operating, I started realizing and meeting other players in the market and like, you know, this one person runs this firm, but they have this huge equity partner and here's what their life is like. And there's another person that has high net worth investors and here's what their life looks like. I just started realizing that I didn't want to be the type of person who's uh, creating a big firm where now we're at the point where, you know, we're people managers and it doesn't matter the firm that we're running. Um, that was just not something that was interesting to me. I wanted to have something where it's like not, not action all the time, right? Like let's sit, let's study, let's wait for the right deals and do those. Because uh, the more volume you do, the inherently I think the more risk there's likely going to be. So given that, that, that recognition, that understanding about what you wanted to be, how did you make that happen? Like, because obviously like employees do stuff. Yeah. So you're, and you're, and you're doing stuff. How are you doing stuff without the employees? Yeah, uh, we outsourced the areas we felt we weren't good at, right? So property management, we had to go through like uh, two to three property managers to ultimately find Bell and, you know, create this thing with them. And uh, that's been amazing. And, you know, that's worked out really well. Um, internally, I said, you know, like what is everything that we do day to day, right? When I look at a task or an activity that gets completed, I look at it as a process map, a series of steps, with risks and controls. And so I just say, okay, uh, this is the task or activity we do. How often do we do this? Uh, do we like doing this? Is this repeatable? And if so, let's lay it out and then we can go delegate it to somebody. You know, the first thing is you, you, know, uh, you do it, you show them how to do it, you review their work the first couple times, and then after that, that person is doing that work. And I realized that, oh, we can do this overseas at 80 to 90% of the cost of a US employee. So that was just like my thinking, was this like process or systems mindset thinking. Uh, and then we're just off to the races of being like, okay, what's, we have these, all these tasks, what's the first one that we need to delegate? And so we've just done it that way where VAs handle a lot of this back office work. Um, you know, Pooja does our asset management, there's obviously a lot on there. Uh, Suppin does our underwriting and acquisitions, I do our investor relations. In the beginning, uh, we were just working a lot, like, because we didn't have anybody to, um, you know, help do all this work and we had to do it. We didn't yet uh, standardize it and systematize it. Uh, so we were just working a lot. Like I wouldn't leave my room. Uh, I'd start at like seven, I'd be done by nine. And like, you know, my wife, like credit to her for like putting up with that. <laughs> um, but now over time, just like one by one, just 
creating systems, delegating them, automating things, stuff like that. Okay, so that's uh, so that's what the what it looks like now, and I want to talk um, about how the capital raising has because again we're we're kind of going into this chicken the egg thing again where you're you've done one deal you're starting to do more you're starting to systematize operations um, obviously there's this is probably now what four or five years ago um, there's clearly runway in the markets that you're looking in. Um, you know, you got to grow an investor base. Let's talk about how that happened. Yeah. Uh, so, like I said in the beginning, it was uh, you know just like a handful of people from our network, and then we uh, brought in. And then once you execute and you start making distributions, and then you know we were trying to generate returns quick. So we're executing on the business plan, seeing like how do we sell this quick? Because we knew when we do that and put money in people's pockets, they're going to go tell their friends. And so our first investors were pretty much the ones that did all of the word of mouth to go tell other people. And just one by one, I kept seeing my calendar fill up with introductions and meetings, meeting new investors. And when someone, one of your investors who's legit makes an intro to somebody else who's likely also a you know, pretty impressive person, the trust is kind of already built. And they're like, okay, I just need to vet this person. Like, you know, do they kind of know what they're doing? Um, because I'm really just trusting the investor that told me this. Um, and then you know you execute for them and it grows and so like every investor just brings multiple investors because they tell their friends I want to talk because I think it ties what you just said ties ni nicely back to the process mindset that you were talking about before um, Many of us find that uh, We are trying to run around and meet people at the time when we need the money and that's definitely not what you're doing So talk about like what what is your how, how do you how do you raise money at this point? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I'll actually uh, step back to give context, which was in the beginning. My calendar was empty, and investor wanted to talk to me. I'll meet with you anytime you want, right? Uh, but now the way that we've done it is uh, we don't just do it around a deal that we're closing or something like that. I just set aside like one to two hours on a Monday um, where my calendar is like free between these times. Um, anybody can, you know, any investor can book time with me to talk. Um, we keep that like lead funnel going right throughout the year so by the time we have a deal everybody already knows that i met with who we are what we do sometimes it's even a good signal like if i met with them in january and we're bringing out a deal in september um it's like oh sweet like these guys have been patient the whole year so like this is hopefully a good one um and then at the time we launch the deal then you know those people get back in, we do a webinar, those kinds of things, but we yeah. keep it going throughout the year. I want to talk more in detail about the nuts and bolts of the fundraising process, but um, they're going into a CRM? Yeah, uh, they go into a CRM that we have. Um, we send uh, like monthly market updates. So it's not like they don't hear from us for nine months. They're still like getting a touch point. They like remember who we are, like, oh, here's what's going on in Orlando. Here's what we're seeing acro across our portfolio for rent growth, those kinds so of things. So you're doing that monthly? That's actually yeah. a significant um, commitment of time. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, one piece of it is like we, we're reading the stuff every day, so just share it, all right? We share it on Twitter. We should share it with the people that are talking to us. Um, and so, yeah, we just like consolidate the stuff that we have read over the course of the month and share that out. That's very useful. I don't do that, and I'm now going to start doing it. <laughs> so thank you. Uh, and then one thing I think is useful and hopefully like um, motivating to people that are younger is that... Um, also, in the beginning, it wasn't just the calendar that I had free. Like, I would go to these meetups and stuff like that, like these real estate meetups, and uh, I would always leave, and I was like, man, like, what am I doing? Like, <laughs> I had the exact same experience. Yeah, like, 
don't, I'm not raising capital from anyone here. It feels like we're all the same, and it feels like we're just not succeeding in what we're trying to do. Um, and, you know, I think that might be the rite of passage for everybody is, like, you got to go to the meetup to see, like, what's going on. Yeah, I realized at a certain point that I was, like, swimming in a pool with a bunch of other wannabe real estate sharks. And it was, like, instead of going to the real estate one, like, go to the doctor one. <laughs> right. <laughs> right? Or there aren't any sharks. Um, okay. So, um, so you're writing these investor updates that are going out, so you're continuing to touch them even if you don't have a deal. Mm -hmm. What does it look like now when you – okay, so let's, let's walk through now. Now, and, and, of course, things have slowed down, but, but over the last couple of years, what does it look like when you actually find a deal? Yeah, totally. So um, – you know, we go through a whole process. We're trying to find deals and everything like that. Let's say we find a deal we like. We'll, you know, uh, do a tour. A real estate broker will come. Our loan broker will come. Our property management partner will come. You know, we'll kind of take a look, uh, you know, refine our underwriting, all that kind of stuff, put an offer on the property, go through the negotiation process. Once we're like, okay, we're going we're gonna to get this thing, um, we've started putting everything together in terms of a deck we create in terms of like the emails that go out, in terms of getting our investor portal set up, all of that kind of stuff. So by the time we sign the PSA, uh, one, we send a standardized document to the seller about our due diligence, timelines, people we need, all days we're gonna be there, those kinds of things. Uh, but then also for the investors, we send out, um, here's the high-level email of all the you know, metrics of the deal and all the high-level information. We're doing a webinar 48 hours from now. Uh, you know, here's the details of the webinar. We'll do the webinar, um, you know, two days later, um, we'll do Q&A. So we'll walk through a deck that has a high-level overview of the deal, a business plan, financials, what an investor can expect year by year in terms of cash flow, um, location overview, market overview, floor plans, like everything that someone would need to make a decision. Um, in the Zoom, people are asking questions throughout. Um, us as the partners, we have different sections that we're taking on to present. Um, and then we're writing answers back for the questions that people are asking so everyone can see it. And then we do that for 30 minutes, go through the presentation, the back half, then people are able to ask more questions, and then we answer those live. After that, uh, the recording goes out, um, ideally immediately, because we like, automated a bunch of these things. And uh, then that people can do their soft commitments in our uh, investor portal. People sign documents, wire funds. Yeah, and I, I promise I'm not asking this because they're sponsoring the event, but uh, <laughs> who are you using for the investor portal? Uh, Appfolio. <laughs> so uh, it's pretty good. Um, I mean, yeah, this whole thing of like automation, creating systems, all of that type of stuff, like it just takes so much work off your plate and allows a much better experience for investors as well. And we can still do better, right? Like... Um, uh, the founder of Dyson says, like, I'm perpetually 20% dissatisfied with everything. Like, that is me. Like, every time I'm like, okay, this should be better. You know, we've done a good job, but it needs to be better. It needs to be better. Yeah, no, I can, you, your, the, your um, systems orientation comes through. Like, every, every answer here uh, to me sounds like someone who thinks about systems and is constantly trying to optimize them, which I think is, like, uh, probably a root of your success. Um, so let's, in the, in the time that we have remaining, um, I want to talk about the evolution of um, the way you think about your strategy. So early on, you were trying to execute these business plans, turn quickly, generate IRRs, which of course has the benefit of, of, uh, of creating word of mouth with the investors. Um, how has that changed? Um, yeah, so it's been good, but, um, you know, one of the things that we've been thinking through is kind of uh, what do we want to do going forward, right? So over time, our uh, investor base has become more sophisticated, a higher net worth, 
And so for a lot of people, you know, they're like, I don't need this immediate liquidity, you know? Um, I don't need the distributions. You should keep making them, but I don't need them. <laughs> uh, what I care about is like building equity and having a long-term mindset. And so, you know, we want to move to a model where we're doing longer-term holds. Um, you know, that, like I, that, I took inspiration from you on that on Twitter where I just thought, oh no, everyone does three to five years. Like you have to do that. And then I was like, oh no, you can hold them forever? <laughs> like, sweet. Uh, and so, you know, we're moving in that direction. A lot of the assets we bought recently, we believe are like high quality, well located. Um, we can keep them for a really long time. And we're, it's not gonna happen for every one of them, but we're trying to push more in that direction. And it's changing the vintage of the stuff that you're looking at too, right? Yeah, definitely. So, you know, uh, in the beginning it was 1970s, 1980s. Now the oldest we'll go is 1990s. The stuff we bought recently was like 2000, 2005, 2010, 2003, 2015. So we're going much newer vintage. So what does this thing look like built out? Like what, in other words, if I were gonna, if I were asking you to predict what does JT Capital look like, whatever, 10 years from now or 20 years from now, is this actually kind of, if not Blackstone, is it like a Blackstone light with a billion dollar portfolio or something like that? Uh, yeah, I think we can hit, um, you know, what's a sizable portfolio for like our standards, uh, which is definitely in the, you know, low billions of dollars. Um, I still think it's a relatively light uh, model where we don't have a huge acquisitions team. We don't need to do like a lot of acquisitions. Just we have capacity to do four or five a year, and right now we do one to two a year. <laughs> um, like I'm okay with the problem of having more capital than deal flow. That problem to me is totally fine. Uh, the investors may not like it, uh, but you know I tell them like, hey, you know I'm not going to be the one that's putting out um, you know deals that you know I don't think are going to be good for you. It's not worth it for for us in the long term. Um, and so yeah, I think that's what our firm looks like. It's like a uh, you know light overhead still. Um, bigger than what we are today, because we're going to need more, you know, asset management capabilities, a little bit more investor back office capabilities as we grow and hold on to things for the long term. Um, but I don't view it as becoming some type of behemoth. I, and I will caveat that to say that we sit and we study a lot. And so, you know, something pops up and we're like, that's the next opportunity. We're going to go for it. Then like, we'll do that. And we might look different. But I, again, I don't think we're going to become like a huge, huge, like, go to try to be Blackstone or anything like that. So I guess I want to, I, I want to close um, with, with a, maybe a more philosophical question. And that is, you've had a bunch of exits. You guys have made a lot of money. I have no idea how much, but I'm sure it's plenty. Um, and uh, you have a really good track record. So you're not hurting for capital. Like you got more capital than you got deals. And I'm sure like no one says no to a great new investor, but I mean, fundamentally, you don't really need to be doing this. And by this, I mean talking to me here, but also going on podcasts or doing Twitter or whatever. Like, what, what is the motivation? Like, you can just be a quiet, anonymous guy who lives a dope life in Austin, and that's fine. Like, so what's going on? Yeah, I think it's a few things. Um, so... You know, when I first started uh, writing online and getting on Twitter, um, my grandfather, uh, I had, like, uh, come across a journal. Um, like, he wrote it in Hindi. One of my aunts had uh, translated it into English. And so I got to read this journal about his life. Like, this, this is, is amazing. This is amazing. Um, like, the stuff he had been through, uh, just crazy. Like, a village in India. 
just phenomenal, right? And so um, that was one piece of it where I was like, I'm about to have kids. Uh, I want to have a record of what like I was thinking and uh, doing at the time. And so I was writing publicly. I started writing like private notes that they can see in the future. Um, that was one piece of it. Uh, the other piece of it was I put myself back to uh, when I was like starting in my career early or starting to go to do something else. No one teaches you this in college, like, oh yeah, you can go buy real estate. I didn't, I never thought like driving around who owns this stuff, you know, I just figured, hey, some big company owns this, like, but no, like, you can do it, but they never taught us. Um, and so I like being the type of person um, that can like inspire the younger version of me that's likely sitting in this crowd that is like, oh sweet, he did it, I can go do it too. You know, like that's what I, uh, that's what I really want. Um, now I want, you know, to, you know, grow wealth and all of that kind of stuff. And uh, by the end of the day, like, um, you know, all I need is my family, you know, like that's what's most important. Everything else is just gravy. And so growing wealth and having ambition and that kind of stuff is, um, you know, certainly something that is important to me. Uh, but ultimately for what I feel like I can give back to people is just like inspiration that like, if I can do it, I, I feel like anybody can do it. Um, and so, yeah, that's, you know, a big piece of it. Well, you've inspired me. <laughs> uh, uh, and if nothing else, this has been like a wonderful one-on-one -on -one tutorial. So thank you for that. Um, thank you yeah. very much for, for all of this. And thank you to, to all of you. Thanks. Thanks.